technology is only so easy. Well, sorry for being a bit late. I looked at the clock and it was like 10 to, and I still had to make tea. Oh, no, that's all right. Well, I think Dave is setting a different microphone. No, that's the What's microphone. What's happening? Oh, that's, that's the microphone. That's your mic. Oh, okay. yes. <laughs> thank, thank you, Techie Dave. I've been talking into a mic that was... Like miles foot away? Half, foot and a half away. <laughs> so okay. Speak into the... All right. Is that the right height for you? Yeah. Yes. Maybe maybe that's our that's our vaccine. That's what our blooper takes. <laughs> like, well, yeah. Blooper real. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh no, let's put it all in. <laughs> that's, it's called podcast. The whole thing's true. Yeah. <laughs> like what are people paying for this? <laughs> yeah. The whole thing's a blooper. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Is it podcasting? Yes, it should be. Yes, it should be blooper. That's not blooper art. You have to talk into the microphone. Yes, okay. God. Remember, talk into the microphone. Stop explaining. Explaining. Dave's explaining. Yeah, Dave's doing Dave's explaining. Dave's explaining. Yeah. Okay. So it's been a while. Well, here we are. I think the last. The last time we talked was uh, when my friend Jason McLean was with us, I believe. Oh yes! Oh my goodness, that was so. That long was like in, that was in July. So yeah, maybe we'll try to work a little bit closer with those dates during the winter. The win- winter seems a good time for it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's what. That's why I contacted you. Uh, I I did not want to leave the house today. It's minus twenty three, yeah. I think. Yeah, exactly. I went out and sh- did some shoveling, and that was about it. It's not quite that cold here, but it's cold enough. It's nice, though. I like it. It's bright today here. Mm-hmm. It's bright here as well. Yeah. And I'm, I guess I'm a proper Canadian in that I actually like the winter. I don't. I like it when it's cold and dry and bright out. I don't like it when it's like minus two and slushy, which is normally what you get here in London. But uh, I do like the winter. I like the change. I think is what I like. Yeah, I understand that. Me too. I, I do. Even though I'm not too enamored with winter, I actually, I don't think I, I would want to li- live um, in the South and not have winter. And you've had more extreme winters than I've ever had. You grew up in Quebec and you've lived in Newfoundland. and <laughs> Now you're in Sault Ste. Marie. So that's all like serious winter. You're like talking six months of winter in all those places pretty much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, I don't know. I think with the with um, global warming and the summers being so hot, I feel that winter is is actually a gift, a reprieve. Yeah. Yeah, I'm one of those people that I actually prefer it when it's a bit cooler out, and uh, like I say, cold and dry doesn't bother me compared to when it's like. 40 plus with a humidex in the summer i find that just disgusting when because i sweat a lot right it's horrible i mean you don't need to know that but it's just like (laughs) i'm just my i'm just dripping it's going in my eyes it's like and that's just from like getting up and going to the toilet (laughs) you know it's not it's not it's not pretty so i'm built more for the winter oh that's okay yeah, yeah. Anyway, 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 I liked your uh, I liked your choices of those couple of videos. I, I was unaware of the Mexican artist. I didn't know him. I thought that was uh, 
pretty interesting, both of those videos, like his video on, um, I thought his teaching technique of giving a, the, you know, presenting art as if it's your own and talking about it. I thought that was fascinating. Isn't that wonderful? He's appropriating yeah. the work of his students yeah. and, and, and he hasn't seen those photos and he's no, talking he's about up, yeah. them. Yeah, he's got to come up with that stuff on the spot. I think that's uh, I think that's really really clever. It's almost like a game then. Yeah, and then the students can get this sort of alternate feedback in a way that you're. It's kind of the same feedback in a certain sense, I guess, but it's coming from kind of a different angle, right? It's totally. I, I mean, I'm sure he would have sim. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm sure he would have similar things to say if he was doing a more conventional critique of it, but he's doing it from the perspective of trying to explain it rather than critique it. And so it's interesting. I almost want the students to interact with him as well and to ask him questions about it. I don't know if they didn't, it was only a couple of minutes long, so it's hard to say. Maybe they do that. Mm -hmm. Well, you see the students' reactions anyway, and I think that they're just enjoying that chance they have. Because it seems like it's a wonderful opportunity. That's that's the feeling I got from looking at them. That they were all like smiling and so yeah. fascinated and all uh, very engaged with the process. Yeah, and he seems like a. I can say I don't know. The, I don't recognize the name, but I don't pay that close attention to modern sort of contemporary day-to-day -day people who are practicing now artists so it's it's very possible that he's one of the most famous artists in the world and I just don't know the name but I imagine that would be a pretty big opportunity as a student to be taught by him and to have that kind of opportunity for feedback like that yeah um the first time I heard about him was in um a uh, advanced studio class and we were um there was this there's a student in our group that really loves the mundane the mundane is um, uh, very photographic. I feel that it's, a, it's good for photography. Um, it, it, I don't know, it, it seems to be the medium to portray the mundane uh, in the best way. So is that a movement in art called the mundane then I've not heard of that. So is that, and I assume it's, it's, it's everyday objects, everyday things, I would assume. I think that, well, if I look at Gabrielle Orozco's um, information, they say that his work has been influenced by conceptualism. Uh, so not the mundane, but he uses objects that are from, the world of the mundane. I think that's what artists call anything that you do on on an everyday basis that you touch, that, that you're in contact with, that isn't anything too symbolic, that it's just kind of uh, like, let's say, for example, let's give the example of the little ties that tie your bread bag. You know, this little tie, sure. if you yeah, did sure. a series of photos based on the this mundane object, then... Making making it into a superstar. <laughs> yeah. I th like, this student who 
introduced Gabriella Rosco. She likes, uh, for example, printmaking. She did uh, images around the printmaking studio of objects in the printmaking studio that everybody used that didn't have any other significance but being there, you know? Right, right. That's so, interesting. But I, I, I think that's that's really interesting. Uh, Gabriel Orozco, he's he's done something um, where he rolled a ball of clay in the streets of New York and gathered whatever trash was on the on the ground with that ball. I remember that. Now there's a video game about that. Believe it or not. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You start out on the in the microscopic world, and you roll this thing around, and it picks things up as you go. I don't remember the name of the game. And eventually, you're picking up. You're into the solar system, and you're picking up planets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the best video games I've ever watched someone play. I'm not a big video game person, and I tend to like watching people play more than playing. But I was fascinated by that one because you eventually like you're rolling around and you're picking up like the Eiffel Tower, like cars. You just keep getting bigger and bigger as you as you're your mass grows and then eventually like i say you're rolling around the solar system picking up planets and then galaxies and I, i'm not sure what how you lose or how you win but it was fun to watch so that's similar that's interesting mm -hmm. and i guess that starts in a way that goes back to um almost going back to like dada art like to you know our mutt written on the on a urinal putting up in an art put up in an art gallery it's a completely mundane thing that's not meant to be it art is in no sense definitely the dada duchamp line yes. yeah yeah Yes. And I've always been kind of fascinated by that. I mean, I, I somewhat fascinated by the way that people react to that kind of stuff where they say, but that's not art, right? To quote the <laughs> name of the podcast. And, and you kind of have to see what the, the, there's a bigger statement usually being made. And then sometimes I think in the case of what you were talking about, for example, with a bread tag and, and then using that as a thing, you can actually take something that is mundane and actually make it very artistic. Mm -hmm. You can take you can you can show it in ways that, or, and I think that's what separates a really good artist from, I guess, an ordinary person or not a not so good artist is somebody who's really able to see the beauty in almost anything. Yeah, like for example, if you took that red tie and made a cast of it, and then and and did it in silver, you know, then it would be. Yeah! 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 This, or maybe make it have it in front of other things or whatever, or even just break extreme close-ups in the way that you do your your um, depth of, of focus and stuff like that. Like if with photography can be really fascinating. Like that's what makes a great photograph to me, right? And so it, the subject matter becomes almost less important. Yeah, and um, just to go back to Gabriela Orozco, um, I have two things I want to remember to say. Um, the skateboard with the fluffy stuff on it, like there was a skateboard. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. That was cute. I like that. Yeah, I was trying to think, where did I see that? But yeah, that was one of the students that uh, was he was presenting as, acting as. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we're talking about, where a skateboard is not a mundane not so so mundane it can be i guess but it's it's kind not of mundane a... in my life no, it's... i just see it as a way to break my teeth or my skull well one <laughs> and two it's it can be a symbol of a lifestyle or a way of thinking um a rapper 
street culture, youth, you know, it, it is a symbol for the rebel youth. Graffiti, graffiti art, uh, yes. a lot of, a lot of kind of uh, primitive art in a lot of ways, like even Basquiat, you know? Yeah, like that, all those images come to mind. So, but this skateboard was wrapped with um, material that made it look like a cloud. So I think it was really uh, a cool dissonance or a, a cool pairing of putting this really fluffy stuff. Like most, like you and I can relate to this because we don't skateboard. I imagine you don't skateboard. No, no. So I did when I was I like probably think, eight. Well, maybe then I can think of it as a cloud and I'm, you know, floating on a cloud on the skateboard. But for me, I think I'll break my hip and it's going to be like... <laughs> That's right. Next thing you know, you're going to be in a home. Yes, exactly. With a, bro a broken hip and a catheter. So that was a really, really bright, intelligent, smart uh, pairing of a not-so-mundane object, but... Uh, I think they were they were getting they were going along that line of of uh, doing what Orozco does yeah and the other thing I yeah, wanted yeah, to mention was the classes he's doing huh? yeah the classes the Spanish classes yeah that's very that's very conceptual art piece huh? Spanish lessons as art as an art installation yes yeah I thought that was yeah I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, you and want I, to bring in people to your to your exhibits, and you want people to understand your world. So that's yeah. Yeah, try you should try one of those in the Sioux, a French lesson as a art piece. <laughs> I, uh, I I looked at that, and I I could see a lot of. I've done a lot of French teaching around town, and. It's my world, the, the world of language teaching. Uh, I was listening to the teacher uh, describing a famous person in Spanish, and she was describing Frida Kahlo without saying right. the name. And I've done things like that in, in my classes. So I, it was a, it's a really smart way to make people enter your world um, through the language and then go upstairs and look at artwork. I mean, that's vibrant. Uh, it, it brings people open to all of this. And uh, Gabrielle Orozco teaches in English and Spanish constantly. And I really liked his natural way of switching between the two languages I thought that was interesting too. I noticed that he did that also in the in the first in the other video, like the one where he was doing the presentation of his students' art. He was he was speaking in Spanish and English, mm -hmm. unless I'm blending the two together. But I think he was though, right? No, he was. He was, and I think that's just brilliant. I I will I will definitely try that. I I have to present a show that is coming to the gallery where I have my studio uh, and uh, it's a, the first French show uh, in Sault Ste. Marie, the town that had a resolution against French in right, right. 1991 
Um, Which is crazy because isn't there a fairly sizable francophone community in the city, like compared to London, for example? There was, but since the resolution, it's been I guess, yeah. going down. It was around 3,000, almost, well, it was close to 5,000. It was about around 4,000 uh, in the 90s. And now it's around 2,200, something like that. Yeah, I guess if you're not made to feel welcome, you're not going to stick around, right? I, I think what happened was it, it made people retreat to their circles, their families, their, their close associations with friends, schools, churches, and it didn't sure. allow for the passing on proudly of your culture, a, pr a pride um, or an understanding. So uh, Francophones are almost um, here, they're uh, almost resigned Francophones, you know, like they're resigned to the, I don't know how else to, like they're proud and they have continued but they've always compromised and they've always, they don't want to rock the boat. They're, they're and there'd be probably not that much cross-pollination between the communities. So they sort of stay to themselves and probably it makes sense that that would shrink because you got to kind of be bringing new people in. And I don't know, like, if it's hard to do when you, like I say, you got to, you know, these hostile um, piece of legislation that's basically outlawing your language. That's not good, right? If um, <laughs> if you go to Sudbury, which is four hours away, there they have a completely different attitude towards French. Uh, so when you go there, you will hear French. You can be served in French. So it's and there's uh Timmins, Chaplowawa. Anyway, it's a it's a whole other thing. Let's get back. Our next artist is who was the guy that you Newman? No. Oh, oh Bruce Nauman, yeah, yeah. He's a guy I've been I don't know him super well, but I, I like I really enjoy that. I mean I'm glad that you introduced me to that art twenty one. I think it's an amazing resource. And I like watching the longer ones. Like I originally said, like I like the I wanted to see this Berlin one, but it, but as I said, it makes more sense to look just at smaller clips of specific artists than to watch fifteen minutes on someone you've never heard of, right? But in any case, Bruce Nauman is somebody who um, I, I remember that portrait of myself as a fountain or whatever. I always remember that, and and uh, I, I thought it was interesting because I kind of randomly picked it. I know the name, but then. The, the first one where he's talking about like learning how to ride a horse and the, it, this idea of teaching. And I know that you had just told me that you've been, you've been te um, teaching art in high school for the past little bit. <laughs> and, yes. and you've been, you, you, you devoted a good part of your life to teaching, right. And not necessarily art teaching, but, but yes. uh, you've, you've been, yeah, you've, you've done teaching for like your whole adult life on some level. Right. I love, I love uh, <coughs> that we went for, for clips with, teaching or about teaching yeah that was really interesting yeah and it was it was interesting because that's what i said in the message serendipity because it was almost <laughs> or maybe i didn't say that i don't know i thought yes, you did. anyway <laughs> right 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 and it's just one of those things where it's like okay you just bring something up and i don't know i'm not a big believer in in 
fate or anything like that. But it is funny the way sometimes things just kind of fall into place in an unusual and unplanned way. <laughs> like, like, and interesting enough too, um, as a quick, quick aside, I won't go on about this, but, um, my friend Ben who passed away, died in the car accident. We've talked about him a few times. It just so worked out that I got a message just like after we had planned to do this from his mother saying that his artwork and his collection was going to be up this Friday that just passed at a local gallery. So uh, it's just one of those things. So I was, I actually had an art event to go to this weekend. We can maybe talk about that later, but, yes. but um, well, it's, it's just it another now. one of these things where. Th go ahead. Oh, if you Tell want me to. about um, it. Yes. Ben Fortis, right? Uh, well, yeah, well, he yeah, and he was somebody who supported art like nobody I've ever met before, and he was just he was he was alive with it. Like he, and you read any of the sort of uh, critiques or or I guess things that after he had passed away about people what they had to say to him, it was always like they said he was present, like he was engaged and he wanted he was at everything and he was just really really big into art and one of the things that he did was he supported art a lot by purchasing young artists work and he had a very good eye. And so this show was a combination of, it's a smallish gallery. It's called the strand fine art services here in London. And sort of half of the gallery were his paintings that he did more when he was in art school. This is going back quite a ways. Um, but they're mostly oil paintings on, on, uh, mounted on wood and they're fairly abstract. He was largely influenced by Philip Guston, but you know, you get in there and it's like, well, I remember all these paintings cause I've known them for a long time. And then his mom's selling them and she's selling, she's giving them away basically. Like, I think she just wants these paintings to be in people's homes who knew and loved Ben. Mm. And so, yeah, so I bought this painting and I can actually send an image of it, um, to you. Maybe we could put it up with the, uh, on the on the the uh, Facebook page, because yes. he actually uh, he was also involved a lot in music, right? And he had uh, connections with well, they're famous musicians, but they're like you know jazz musicians that, from England that nobody's really heard of. But but um, I'm trying to remember his name now, and of course I can't think of it on the spot. But he, 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 this guy picked one of Ben's paintings as his cover of his record. And so that was the one I saw that, and I said, okay, I'm going to buy that. It was like $100, right? Like, where do you buy art for $100? Oh, wow. Oh, and it's beautiful. And I'll, like I said, I'll send you a picture of it. Um, Paul Evans, I think maybe his name was. No, it wasn't Paul Evans. Anyway, that doesn't matter so much. I'll, I'll get that straight and send you a message. But it's a beautiful little piece, little abstract piece. It looks almost like a planet or a fishbowl with a black background. It's pretty cool. And so, yeah, a lot, seeing this stuff was great. And then in the other room, there was just some phenomenal stuff that he's picked up. And some of it was like... Not only was it untitled, it was undated and un unknown who the artist even was. Because nobody, like he, Ben's gone and he bought these things throughout his life and then never, it's never, like it might have had a signature on it. Like I'm sure if you did the work, you could figure out who it was, but it was pretty funny to see all this. Aww. And he had one piece that was just amazing and I'm almost tempted to go and buy it, but it was a giant format photog photograph. Like we're talking like a, a four foot wide by three foot tall photograph of it was a picture of an artist working in a fairly colorful studio with some teal walls and some orange stuff. And he's got an overhead projector and he's projecting a landscape that he's about to do onto a blank canvas. And he's kind of got like another image in his hand to look like a figure he was probably going to superimpose on it. And it was just, it's just such a museum quality piece of art. And it was like a thousand dollars for this photograph. And I'm thinking, man, I bet you that would be a great investment. Because you don't see stuff like that in people. Like I've I've never seen anything like that in my life, other than in like the AGO or a major museum. It was just so beautiful. Like I was talking earlier about photography and depth of of focus and stuff like that. It was like everything in the photograph was in focus. Mm. Yeah, just just a beautiful, beautiful piece. 
so anyway, so I bought a piece of art on Friday from my my deceased friend Ben, and and it was great to see all that work up there. And uh, usually, I don't have anything to talk about with having done anything to do with the art community. So I, to come back around, there's a certain serendipity that you sort of work into. I hate that word. I don't know why I keep using it, but. <laughs> what, what? <laughs> Used many times. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big fan of it, but it actually I like its meaning. I just yeah. don't like the way it sounds. No. In any case, in any I case, I think it's a it's kind of a cute oopity dee dee. <laughs> What's the equivalent in French? I wonder. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, probably nothing. Is the French don't have a word like coincidental. Yeah, it's coincidence, but also with like uh, some kind of almost it almost. Yeah, I guess coincidental is probably a good one. Maybe With a that's, notion maybe of, uh, of of more than that, like a, I'm of, almost like a notion of fate in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So anyway, that's that neat. was I, I. I didn't mean to sidetrack that. I just thought of it because of whatever we were talking about. Oh, just the fact that these artists that I'm randomly picking tend to, they're they're talking about like language and they're talking about teaching and they're talking about. Um, I don't know. I just find that it's interesting because I know that that's something that you're... Yeah, Newman, is, Nelman yeah. there, he was talking about the man who taught him uh, about horses, a cowboy. Yeah, yeah, and saying so his teaching method was about he knew right away who you were. And and you and that spoke to me because any good teacher I've ever had, that's I, I get that. I know what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And it applies to anything, right? And that's the whole beauty, I thought, of him talking about learning to ride horses. I mean, that's got nothing to do with art, and I was kind of surprised. But then he brings it around, right, and saying his the best art teachers that he ever had were very similar. Yeah. And, 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 I think what I like about him is that he, he does uh, conceptual work in a very traditional way. Uh, I don't know, Texan desert-like place, um, like a stairwell, a stair, a stair, a set of stairs along um, a a cliff uh, in the in the desert-like. Yeah, yeah, area. yeah. I thought that was interesting. Like, yeah. What is that? What is that doing there? And the, and it it doesn't have anything to do with him and his horses and all that cowboy stuff. <laughs> No, I know. I didn't realize that he had that kind of southwestern connection. I, I really, I didn't know that much about him. I really, like I say, I know, I knew that he was a conceptual artist. He came up during a time when that was just sort of a fairly new thing, and he was one of the front runners of it. Like, and uh, I, I didn't know that he was still alive or how old he was. And he looks good for his age, but he's not super old. I think he's probably in his mid seventies. Yeah, he looks like. And, and you, you look inside his studio, He, I've always loved his studio. I remember seeing him yeah, that's in another nice... advanced studio class. So yeah, that's a nice space. So he was one of those guys mentioned. And you can't forget the picture of this man walking around in that messy studio. Like, that's how I think of a studio for me. That's what it has to be like. <laughs> well, what I get out of it is is you get a sense of the process of how you think of ideas, where ideas come from. And in a way, if that's what you need, like, is almost – it's not like a total mess. I'm sure he's got a certain – 
organization to it, but it's like, you know, he, that, that other video, he's walking around and he's like putting things together, all thumbs, that piece where he's got a hand that he's made up just with, with that's made up of thumbs from other things that he's done, right? It's just I like, thought that made him so approachable. That yeah, exactly. He, he picked up that thing, made a joke about it. And it right away, real, I yes. thought we could be friends, you know, like anybody watching this video probably thought... Well, there you go. He's a regular guy making funny yeah, dad yeah. jokes, you know? And, and, you know, we're talking about these people who... It's a small community in a way, but these are really, like, the heavyweights of the art world, right? Like, they're still alive. They've been doing it for, like, 40 years. They're never going to stop. They're going to be making art on their deathbed, basically, right? And and it's meant, it's meant so much to them, and they've, they've contributed so much to con the contemporary art world. And to see him like walking around in his own element like that and to just be able to say, yeah, like, like you say, you feel like this guy's the kind of guy you could just sit down and have a beer or a coffee or tea with and just talk for hours about process or about whatever. Right. Yeah. So I'm glad you picked that guy. And then we had also, is her name Sarah Shea? Is it I think Shea? that's probably how that's pronounced. Yes. I, I it's S Z E, right. Yeah. Chinese name. And uh, I had forgotten about her as well because we we talked about her probably about two years ago, even that, or maybe even longer, where we looked at her Highline piece where she was bringing birds in. Remember? Yes, yes. She had like a sculpture that had like pieces of orange and stuff on them, so that a certain breed of bird would come in. And yes, yeah, oh. and she does. She was. She's really interesting. I've I've I studied her because I liked her sculptures that are. Uh, constructed from mundane things and using some furniture elements and everyday elements and making her like a huge circle with that stuff and just like filling a room with amazing yeah, yeah. little bits of it almost feels like do you, do you remember playing with those long sticks and little pokey wheels with holes in wood where you oh, tinker toys tinker toys oh that's what they're called okay yeah, that's what they're called en anglais i don't know what they call them in french but... yeah i don't know but, uh, but yeah i like remember reminded those. me playing with those uh, her artwork and yeah because I remember yeah I remember that too because I remember her setting stuff up with string mm -hmm. like uh, like so she would know how the things would work out in, in space like because she was building like essentially a life-size and I'm remembering the stuff we talked about before not because we, what we were watching this time was her designing a subway station and we can come back to that but but just her process I guess is what I'm talking about and and she's it's very thoughtful mm-hmm yeah, and, and her subway station is is similar to those that Tinker Toy kind of idea of of little bits of floating stuff. Essence. I liked yeah. I liked her sense of understanding of history, and she talked about how her great her grandchildren are going to see this. Like a subway station is not something that is like you know the subway stations that we go to in Toronto, the ones that we know like. Some of those have been there since the 30s or 40s or whenever the subway system was mm -hmm. first put in, particularly those ones with the kind of like pale green tile. Like yes. along the... yes. Yeah, yeah. But they're very deco, though. They're very beautiful and they're simple. But but I thought what she did was amazing, those blue tiles. And the, I just, I would love to. I'm, if, when I go back to New York, I'm going to, 
I'm going to hunt that station down and take a look at it. I think that's a great, amazing opportunity for an artist to have something like that because it's going to be there for a long time. Yeah, I'm glad they picked her. She's, she's... anyway, it was, uh, it was really interesting to see how artists can transform uh, a space, a mundane space as a subway station. And it makes me remember a long time ago before I really paid much attention to art, the amount of things that are out there that are artistic that people don't even pay any attention to if they're not like tuned into the fact that an artist actually put this in here. This wasn't just like a random thing that came out of a box from somewhere. This is like, I remember um, seeing sculpture at the university of Western Ontario when I first started going there and, not even realizing that it was sculpture. Like it was just, it was almost like background noise. And then eventually it turns out that it's, well, it's Patrick T-Bear sculpture that I actually know the artist now. And, and it, you know, he, it's, I like it, but I just, when I was, you know, 19 or 20 years old, I, I had a, I guess a different outlook on life and <laughs> I didn't pay as close attention to such all. things. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But a lot of people never ever come to the point where they, they, they don't understand the amount of, I think the role that art plays in, in everyone's lives to such a huge extent. Like, you know, I'm sitting in a room here looking at even just graphic, like not graphic design, but industrial design of like, technology like the speakers that i'm staring at and whatever right like just everything had at some point it had an artist's hand involved in it everything that you mm-hmm. see because because things have to be they have to work and they have to be aesthetically pleasing to some extent yes you know that's that's right uh, a human mind has has uh, conceived uh the this creation in, in their mind totally I wanted to, uh, you mentioned that I was teaching a little bit, so I wanted to mention a little bit of, about that. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. How did that come about? Yeah, um, it's because it's a really, really big part of my development right now. Uh, now that uh, I've finished uh, my BFA, what's next, you know, like... Um, Becoming a professional artist is not, it's not something that I want to follow in a DIY infographic, <laughs> you know? in, a way, in a way, it's hard to even know what that means, right? You just, you do what you do and, and you consider yourself an artist and hopefully other people do and they give you money for it, right? <laughs> so I, I started... I opened a studio, as you know, and I was in a space, and um, you might not know this, I moved upstairs because um, the artist that was upstairs left, and they thought, as we're growing a collective to look after the gallery, it, it would probably be, be better if I moved upstairs, because I was okay. kind of uh, in a common room. Um I remember that from the images, yeah, that you were in a space where, yeah, so you wanted more more privacy. I, I thought that it, it's not necessarily that, because I really liked having people all around, and I liked the open concept. Where, yeah, that's cool. Uh, I like really that, too. I really liked working that way. But it was more because I would see people all day long on Gore Street, and it started making me feel... Uh, a bit depressed from seeing them having so many people with 
uh, schizophrenia or drug-induced attacks or like lots of shouting fuck you and stuff like that. And the down this, and the down and out, basically. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, right there, I, I saw about twice. I saw men picking up prostitutes in their car, you know, right yeah. in front of me while I'm painting. So, so you're in the good part. You're in the good part of town, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could use this in my work and translate that, but I but, am not um, tough like that. This isn't. My sensitivities uh, aren't like that. I can't and do you don't that. necessarily you don't necessarily want what you're doing to be driven by an influence that you don't have any control over. Maybe you do, but but you don't necessarily. Like I don't think it's I don't think it's a big I think it's a fair thing to say. I'm not. I don't. I don't want my art to be like some people won't watch television and films because they don't want that to have a big influence on what it is that they're doing because everything influences you in some way, shape or form. Right. And so I think isolating yourself from that is not, I mean, it goes both ways. Some people, they want to be immersed in that and they want to be able to, you know, to, to, to have their art reflect their kind of interpretation of what's going on around them. But I think it, it's just, it's equally as valid to say, no, I don't, I don't want that to affect my art because my art is not about other things that are affecting me. It's about what it's about my own head. Right. Yeah. I think, um, I'm making, uh, more and more of those decisions. So anyway, I moved upstairs and set up a new studio and um, in order to pay for my studio, I have to continue seeking uh, grant or contracts or work that is outside of my comfort zone. So I applied for an artist in communities and schools uh, with the Ontario Arts Council. And I based the project on um, uh, an activity that I did with a student in my program two years ago uh, at White Pines and the students had liked that and I did not know until the spring that the the director of the program told me yeah when you came and did uh, two weeks of activities with them they really liked it so I thought oh maybe then I can use that and and apply so that's what I did and I got I got the grant thank you very much Ontario Arts Council hey no that's that's a real smart one for you to go for because it's something that, that you've got a real um, inside track in a way because of your all your teaching experience like everything about just where you are at in your own life right now it makes total sense that they would see that and say this is it's because it's not a huge amount they're not giving you like like a hundred thousand dollars right yeah exactly it's not a huge grant so uh, but i think it's money very very well spent and i think that whoever is i would like to believe whoever is making these decisions would see that fairly quickly upon looking at your resume and looking at your proposal thank you Yes, uh, it worked out, and also I get to uh, pay a little bit of money for a student from my program, from the visual arts program at the university, to come and help me in in the classroom. So I devised a four-week program, so I just taught for two weeks. Uh, Abstract painting, Mark. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Uh, it's Just throw a, a bunch of paint on a canvas difficult. call it a day <laughs> it's a little bit difficult because people think that 
things have to look like things. <laughs> so, ah, but sometimes you can get through to people that it's also about the process and about the way the color responds to each other and the way that color over, like when you, you're layering things on top of things, you can come up with like, and, and maybe they don't even have to think of it as a finished product. Maybe they can think of it as something where they're just learning how the materials react with each other. And maybe they could learn something from that technique that would help them in a technique that was more figurative or more landscape or whatever. Or maybe they could just use it in interior decorating. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've used a little bit of everything in, in the two weeks just to get them to engage with the material. Uh, just like mixing paints, for example. Exactly, exactly. I just thought that, like my first, my first class about this, I was lost on how I was going to teach that because, to me, like uh, I've I've done this so many times that you just squeeze paint in a plate, you put a little bit of water, you take your brush, you, you, you dab a little bit here you grab some water you make a wash there and over here you mix a little bit with another like i go like a, a bumblebee just around my paints but become, to an, them, become a robot become a, a them, painting it robot was, it, it was too complicated a, 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 a way for me to teach them so i had to break it down and i probably will have to break it down some more even like just I don't know how I'm going to go about that, but that was that was tricky and and without telling them too much what to do, I don't want to do that. So no, you want them to have experiment and learn some things on their own too, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, that uh, at the end of the two weeks, I was exhausted, but it um, was very good. The students, I I gave them a little bit of questionnaire. I, asked them some questions and I know the, my, the student who was helping me wrote down their answers and that way I have a little bit of feedback to do the second part. Uh, they built uh, canvases and stretched their own canvas and they also right. built wood panels in construction class. That's so good. In, uh, in May they're going to be painting on good uh, surfaces and then at the end of May we will have an exhibit of their work and I will have a catalog as well um, of their work that's awesome and the nice thing now is is it's it's those things are it's achievable like in the 30 years ago you wouldn't be able to do a catalog without spending like another probably ten thousand dollars on it because you'd have to get it all done professionally right like this or else you'd have like something that wasn't very nice but now you can get like you'll be able to put together a beautiful catalog and just print it off on a at a printer down the street or whatever and get it bound with like whatever even a coil binding or whatever right you yeah. can make an yeah I'm you can make try. a Sorry. Yeah, you can you can make it. I was just gonna say you can make a, a a quite a nice prod um um final product that I think will mean a lot to the students mm-hmm. because they'll have a, a you know for posterity or whatever they'll have that and and it'll be nice and that's a, that's a great idea that that'll be really appreciated. Yeah, I was using Black's photo books, but. Yeah, yeah there anything like that. Something cheaper even than that. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of options. Just print it on like a good quality cardstock and with you know get it done at wherever the you know the cheaper copiers are i mean you're probably still going to be a few bucks per per uh catalog i'm sure but mm-hmm. but I yeah that's great for that uh, thanks for giving me that tip because uh 
I was thinking there's got to be like a cheaper way to do it. It's still it's still quite expensive. Like yeah, sometimes yeah. it can be ten dollars a piece. Ten dollars a piece. Yeah, that's not surprising. And if you want it, you probably want to do like twenty or thirty of them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's so good. that was pretty good. And, uh, and how, how old? Are, oh, I forgot. Oh, sorry. Um, I was just going to ask how old the students were. Just they're grade before. nine, ten. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yep. Yeah, and I, I, I just wanted to tell you, Mark. Um, I will be having my first solo exhibit. Oh, great! Good for you. Where? And that would be in Sault Ste. Marie. No, it's going to be in Blind River. <laughs> Blind River. Wow, that's awesome. I, was gonna, I thought you were going to say, nope, it's going to be at the Smithsonian in Baltimore. Whoa. In a small but very um, wonderful community in terms of its appreciation for art and artists and art forms. Yeah. Neil Young sang about Blind River. Really? So there you go. Yeah, yeah. And his, his he wrote a song about his one of his cars called "Long May You Long May You Run," and he's talking. I think it was in Blind River where it broke down. Oh. <laughs> and it was a happy song. It was just like he, he did not say it's not a. It was it was just Blind River was in passing in 1962, I think. So it might have it might have really happened. Who knows? Well, but anyway, be that's really cool. And is it a? I assume it's. Is it a commercial gallery, like, or is it a, a some kind of a public gallery, or just space that you're mounting a show in? It's kind of a mixture of everything. They have um, they have a museum in the back. It's called the Tidbury Village <laughs> Museum. Oh yeah. And uh, most of the stuff they have is uh, between uh, nineteen, I would say. 1910 and 1950, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, uh, it's a cute little quaint village place. And um, the gallery, but the gallery is super big and spacious and nice. They have, often they have local artists showing there. So you'll see oil paints, uh Lots of landscapes. Um, maybe a jewelry artist will have their work there and can sell it. So it That's is cool. uh, partly commercial, partly community, partly professional, you know. So because when the... I sent them my proposal, sorry to interrupt. Uh, no, no, no. When I sent them my proposal... I I looked at what they had had before, and my work isn't commercial as enough for people to want to buy it. It's it's raw plywood with squares and and ripped up paper, glued, and you know, and the edges are not very well lined with the frame. It's a bit rough and raw and. Stuff like that, so <laughs> I don't think people will want that. And well, people around here in Sault Ste. Marie, they, they might not want that in their living. Oh, you room. never, you never know, though. You never yeah. know. But mostly, the people who buy my work are other artists. Yeah, because they understand like the idea of 
seeing the process is important to them. And a lot of people, I think, don't want to know about the process. They just want to see something that looks like they couldn't do it themselves, right? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. It's uh... and I don't mean that. I don't mean to say that. I th I think that anyone who delves in art realizes pretty quickly that no matter what it is that you're trying to do, that somebody else has done, you can't just do it yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like whether it's like try painting a Barnett Newman stripe and it's not going to look the same as if he did it, and try doing a Jackson Pollock and you realize the guy was a genius, right? And then tried, you know. So it's it's not all about like being able to 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 paint like Ken Danby or whatever. Yes, it's, it's, it's There's all different that. skills involved. Yeah, I, I think that it's interesting. I, we, we probably talked about this before, but um, I remember speaking of Barnett Newman when that Voice of Fire painting was bought for like a million dollars or whatever they paid for it back in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. There was this one guy who was like, there was all this outrage because it was just like a, it's like a red stripe with a blue background, right? It's 17 feet tall. It's just like... You know, it's like, oh, my God, I could have done this. And some guy actually did it himself. He put it, he, he got, like, sheets of plywood and made one and put it on the side of his barn. <laughs> saying, I can do this and I'm going to do it. And, of course, you look at it and it's like, well, no one's ever going to pay you a million dollars for that because it doesn't actually look that good. And I, would, I, I guess my point was more that if, if you ever try to do anything that you think that you could do because somebody else makes it look easy, it doesn't matter what it is, you, you're going to have to work at it and try to make it and figure it out. You're not going to get it right the first time. No kidding. No kidding. I saw, um, talking about Voice of Fire, I saw Brian Savvy's piece. He sent it to me. It's for sale, and it looks very much like Voice of Fire. Oh, is it one of those? It has a little circle, and it says parallel, parallel, parallel. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, he sent that because it was at an auction. Yeah. So probably, so probably what happened was somebody bought that years ago, and then it got into an estate, and it probably somebody died, and now the estate's being being uh, auctioned off. That's probably what happened there. Mm-hmm. So that's where my any. I don't even know where any of my. I have, I've sold very few paintings in my life, but there's a few of mine out there. So That's what's probably what funny happened with them is, too. Is uh, your Facebook notifications are coming through? <laughs> That's funny. I can hear them on on our... my face. My Facebook note. I don't have. I've. I've. I was one of my New Year's resolutions. I haven't been on Facebook this month. Oh, is it mine then? It must be. Yeah, I don't. I haven't. I've. I've. Don't miss Facebook really. I, I kind of do. Check. I like the community, but you're not on Facebook. No, I deactivated my account in the beginning of the month. Oh yeah, and you like yeah, that? Ah, yes and no. I mean, I, I, I think it's good for me to have fewer things to obsess over. Yeah, with Trump around, it's yeah, just it's never-ending like, crap. It's just yeah. So I find like I like that. I feel like I have a little bit more control and over what I see and I don't have to get into arguments with people online. Not that I really do that, but no. I, I, I want to. And that, I, know <laughs> I, mean, yes. I, I, I realized long ago that it's not worth doing, uh -huh. but uh, you know, okay, in any case, mine. it was mine. Sorry about that. Oh no, that's okay. I couldn't hear it. Uh, I don't know. It was probably, it was probably coming off. through. It was probably coming through your headphones because of the connection to your computer. So it probably won't actually be on the recording. Oh, good. Okay, good. Good. So, um, what else? So I have this show coming up. I there's a yeah, that's really that's great. Uh, that's really cool, Isabel. That's I'm proud of you. Show. Proud of you for that. Oh, thank you, thank you. 
And there's a French show coming to 180 Projects. It's called Painta de Cagon. And it's uh, 10 artists, five that are Franco-Ontarian and five that are of African descent, who did videos talking about their identities and, and geography and the mysticism of Africa and things like that. And that's in and that's in Sault Ste. Marie yeah, at your space. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm facilitating the whole thing. Oh, so good for you! It's wow. A, it's a group that is coming from Ottawa. And you're finished. You're finished school, right? Yeah, I'm finished school. I now am. you're busier. Now you're busier than you were when you were in school. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm. I keep trying. Like my. My goal, my big goal right now is to see the whole 12-month cycle. What does that look like? So from September to December, I teach French at Algoma. So I know that this money is coming in. Then in the winter, if I can teach art uh, to special needs youth, um, at White Pines, uh, yeah, that's a yearly. great opportunity. That would be great. Yeah, that's a super good opportunity. I think the students are really. Uh, it's 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 not necessarily that they're going to be become artists or stuff like that. That's it's more the development of their minds and yeah, their yeah, for sure towards new ideas and uh no that's how you make people become open-minded and become properly acting citizens and not basically um i think people have a tendency to attack and be afraid almost of things that they don't understand and it it really is hold, it really holds us back as a society and i think that more people i think art's a good way to to bridge that i think so i think so it, it gives a voice anyway to uh to people that might feel marginalized or alone. Or... Yeah, and so... it gives them an opportunity to do something and understand that no matter what you do, it doesn't even really matter. You're doing it, and you've got somebody who's going to give you positive, uh, he's going to reinforce that, and is somebody like yourself who's going to encourage it. And, you know, you're going to see some people obviously going to have more kind of ideas and natural talent than others, but everybody's got something to say, right? I, uh, I, I find that the most of the students who didn't come with some knowledge of art or were scared of artwork were the actual best at it. They, they, they came up with some work that, that rivals people that have been painting for a long time. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. Because well, they I... were free. They were free with their paintbrush. They were unfiltered and uncensored. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always used to, I remember when I was first kind of starting out trying to make marks on paper or canvas or whatever, and I remember having a real newfound appreciation for children's art, like, you know, kids that are under five or seven, mm -hmm. and how they don't have any of those inhibitions, mm -hmm. and the ability to just put a mark on paper, and you can just see, I just see beauty in it, like, it's just the, the, this ability to just completely have nothing that's telling you what you're supposed to be doing. Like, it's almost, 
it almost gets not, I wouldn't say ruined, but even as soon as they start saying, oh, I'm going to draw the sun and I'm going to draw a person here, it's almost at that point, it's, okay, now you're starting to, I mean, there's there's positives to that too, obviously. And I, you can obviously, also people have different ways of interpreting that and kids, I like the way they interpret that too. And they, again, they have more freedom to do so. But I like the idea of like, almost like your four or five-year-old or three-year-old, even kids just like scribbling on paper and just experimenting with like colors on top of colors. And maybe they're just, maybe it's random. I don't know, but I like it. Exactly. Uh, and 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 then there's a lot to be said about as people get older about becoming more and more inhibited, and having their in a way their creativity almost trained out of them. <laughs> I know. It's it's uh, it's that they just want to fit in. They don't want to look any different than other people. They just want to fit in their group and feel feel like they belong so if if anime drawing anime is a thing everybody's doing they want to be doing it yeah that's yeah. true no that's good I, 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 that sounds like a really good opportunity for you as well to be able to to have that you know people that you can translate this along to and it's it's all it's good for your own creative process too i would think I think so. I, I'll show you uh, when we're done. I'll send you some of uh, some examples of what they've done. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're coming to an hour. Yeah, so... that's good. Nobody, nobody wants to listen to us yammer for more than that. <laughs> no, no, we have listeners, Mark. <laughs> oh, I know, but 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 I think I think the hour is a good a good way to keep those listeners. <laughs> Well, uh, there are people who listen to uh, all our podcasts from my family. There's Jonathan, there's David podcasting, yeah. and, and they're interested in listening to anything that I or Dave does, you know? So, yeah, yeah, it's a process, right? And it's like yeah. the process of producing the stuff and of, of speaking with other people who share similar ideas. I can see that. Yeah. So um, next week, let's hope. Yeah, I, I I should be able to do that. Sunday should be pretty good for me this uh, this winter. I'm trying to uh, more or less hibernate, so I don't mind taking an hour out every week to talk to you. Wonderful. Thank you okay. so much. All right, you have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk soon. You too. Okay. okay cheers. Cheers. Yeah, bye. Sounds like you're having a pretty good conversation there.